think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 342 of Low Limit Football on this 20th of November, 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight we return from the November international break to find 13 teams qualified for Qatar in 2022. We'll let you know who's in and who's trying to get in. Ole may not be at the wheel much longer. We're going to discuss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future. Lionel Messi scores his first goal in Ligue 1 as PSG went on the weekend. And we may only have one unbeaten side left in the top five leagues in New York by the time we're done recording this show. We're going to let you know who that team might be in just a moment. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Let me ask you a question, my friend, if you're ready. Go for it. We're, uh, I want to discuss a money, wa a money watch uh, post that was made earlier today that said that the average American spends $90 on a bottle of wine. Are you, are you an average American, my friend? Listen, if, if that's an average American, then I am definitely a D-minus American <laughs> at this point. I'm not even on the charts at that point. Like I said earlier before, I thought about it and I said, you know, the only time I'm spending 90 bucks on a bottle of wine is if somebody was born and we're celebrating a life, uh, if somebody died and we're celebrating a life, or if I'm getting a $90 bo a $300 bottle of wine for $90, then we'll do it. And, and it's not the first time that I've spent more than 90 bucks on a bottle of wine. I spent 200 bucks on a bottle of Tenuta de Ornelia, but it was something um, where my grandmother had a stroke and, you know, I, I went I went away and I thought to myself, life is too short. So if we're going to do it, let's do it. And that's where I spent that money. But the average American, $90 on a bottle of wine, I think their figures are way, way off. Um, but, hey, we know. I, I, I hope soon, my friend, that you and I both can become average Americans. How's that? I would love that more than anything at the moment. <laughs> I hear you. So tonight we have a little bit of a departure from our normal show. We normally would have a guest on. We're going to do opening thoughts and a trivia question. We're going to get away from that tonight because there's a couple of topics that you and I wanted to discuss uh, 
you know, coming back off the international break, coming back off a little bit of an extended uh, vacation for us. And at the same time, this week is the Thanksgiving week, uh, the, the holiday here in the United States. So next weekend we will not have a show. So we wanted to just get on a, a few topics ourselves. And let's opening up those topics. Let's start talking about coming off the international break, coming off of the qualifiers for the FIFA World Cup. I want to give you the list of teams that so far have qualified for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. And they're 13 in total. Of course, starting with Qatar would be the first team to qualify as they are the hosts, of course. Uh, Germany, Denmark, Brazil, France, Belgium, Croatia, Spain, Serbia, England, Switzerland, Argentina, and the Netherlands have all qualified so far. The two teams that I want to discuss just just quickly before we jump into the different regions, Italy and Portugal. Uh, both of both teams, obviously, with Portugal um, falling, I believe, to Serbia, if it was if I remember correctly, and uh, not qualifying for this World Cup and Italy not being able to get the job done at Northern Ireland with a nil nil draw. Also seeing Switzerland beat Bulgaria four nil to put themselves through to the World Cup. There's there's a possibility that we could see. Uh, an Italy side versus a Portugal side in a final to get in, like a one-off. There's a possibility that both will fall, will draw separate tracks. There's a possibility that both teams will not qualify for the World Cup, especially you're looking at the two past European champions here. Roberto, what are your thoughts on the, the potential of actually missing both of these sides, especially the the uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo piece of this uh, this puzzle? Well, last time I checked, aren't Italy and Portugal seeded? So therefore, they can't face each other. Not in the first round, but they could possibly face each other in the final because there were there are six seeded teams and six unseeded teams, and so you can get a group that has two seeded teams in it because it's uh, three groups of four. So because of the math, there will be one. There will be a group that will have two seeded teams in it, and because of that, you may very well see. I'm sorry, there'll be two groups. Uh, all three groups will have. Um, yeah, because it's two, four, six. There will be uh, three groups that will have two seeded teams and two non-seeded teams, and because of that, there is a great distinction that Portugal and Italy can be drawn into the same group and meet in the final of their group. One of them going to the World Cup and the other one going home. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is crazy, and you know, I think uh, I think definitely it'll be very much a a very important um, qualifiers and, and, you know, I can't wait for it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. The draw actually comes up this week on the 26th, if I remember correctly on the date. So keep an eye out for that. Let's go into CONMEBOL real quick because uh, Brazil uh, currently leading the way 35 points. They have qualified for the 2022 world cup as has Argentina after a nil nil draw with Brazil on the, uh, on, during the international break on 29 points. The battle here is really Two spots, and we're looking at, I would, you know, just collectively speaking, um, well, Ecuador, I think, why don't we put Ecuador into that mix? At 23 points, they're they're already uh, six points ahead of Colombia, Peru, seven points ahead of Chile, seven points ahead of Uruguay, eight points ahead of Bolivia. Um, let's, let's put Ecuador into that list. So really, we've got two, four, five teams playing for one automatic spot and one possible playoff spot. Is this what you expected out of Conmebol at this point in qualifying? 100%. Yeah. In fact, it's even more tighter than what it was in the last few years, in the last one, if you remember. So, mm. you know, I think it's still open to any of these teams, really. And, you know, from third to ninth, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, from fourth to ninth, you got four, you got a four-point gap. And, you know, a lot of these teams will be facing each other if you look at the remaining games in the schedule. So a lot of you know, points are at stake here. And, you know, obviously Brazil and Argentina have already qualified. So we're going to have to see what kind of teams that uh, Chichi and, and Scaloni will bring 
to the table for the four remaining games. But, you know, th- like I said, Joe, and I've told you this for since the beginning, I would say, this mm-hmm. is going all the way to the final match day, which would be in, if I'm mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, it would be the end of March. So yep. I think that will be a crazy day. But uh, still in the air for everyone, really, which can is we, crazy. But we'll see what happens. Can we say Venezuela's out? Yeah, yeah, I think with seven points and a 10-point gap, yeah, I think they're out. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't been out, out um, honestly. But from Paraguay, Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile, Peru, and Colombia, that's still up in the air. So you you would still put Paraguay into this mix then? They've only scored nine goals in 14 matches. They've lost three of their last five. Uh, the last particular match, a disappointing draw against Colombia, nil-nil, um, obviously going to Barranquilla for that draw. So that is, I guess we, we would have to call that an earned point because it's a tough mm. place to play. But um, it's not too far of a stretch at this point that, you know, like you said, the other teams are going to play each other in front of them. And th- they would have to have men- many teams falter for them to sneak into that that playoff spot, which right now they're currently sitting four points behind. Right, and that's the crazy thing about Colombo. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. all those um, results happen to go their way. So, you know, again, this is going to go all the way to the very end, and, and I think no one would have to be very certain from from any of these teams to say yes they're going to the world cup except brazil and argentina and yeah i think ecuador and i think they get one more points or at least three i think that's more than enough to take your qualification for the world cup i'm gonna ask you the hard question colombia peru chile uruguay four teams okay for two spots uh-huh. i don't think bolivia have enough talent to be able to sneak their nose into this spot so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say that for me they're they're not gonna make it either but but of those four teams, I mean, four powerhouse teams, Colombia, Peru, Chile, Uruguay. We're talking about Chile and the two-time um, Copa America winners. We're talking about Uruguay, who's won this tournament. We're talking about Colombia, who's a highly, highly talented side. Um, you know, Peru uh, you know, made the World Cup uh, uh, four years ago uh, in Russia and, and certainly are talented, but, but maybe aging. Um, which two teams for you are going to be out when the dust settles? It's tough. It really is. Um, and especially, I'm going to add one more little piece to that. Oscar Tabadas was let go from the Uruguayan national team uh, just this week after the uh, qualifiers. So that is a, that kind of throws a little monkey wrench in the Uruguay chances of going through. It does, and they still have a talented side because of it. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm curious to see who they bring in. But I think that... Peru and Chile might be left out. I just I, I I like what I'm seeing from Chile. I think they've done a really good reassurance. Um, uh, the way that they reassured themselves to become much more of a contender. Peru, yes, they have gotten results as well. But you know, you look at some of the games that they got ahead of them. They got to travel to Colombia. They got to take on Ecuador. They got to travel to Uruguay, and then they got to take on Paraguay. So uh, it's I, I think they miss out barely. But you know, again, I don't like making these predictions, especially since one of those countries are still technically in the race that I want to see them in. But, uh, yeah, guns in my head, I think Peru and Chile would be the ones looking out. Yeah, Chile, next match for them, they host uh, Argentina, and you don't know what you're going to get. Um, Apollo Dybala had a, had a very good match until he went off injured uh, for, uh, for Argentina in the last match. So, I, I you know, I, I think it's a tough road, and I agree with you. I think, I think Colombia and Uruguay are going to go through, uh, one of them obviously to the playoffs. And I think ultimately, um, and, and you know how much I love Christian Cueva, but uh, Peru and Chile will probably be uh, left out of the, the mix on this one. Let's go to CONCACAF real quick, because we saw um, a couple of incredible matches, especially on the second uh, match day here. And, and I'm just getting up my, my final stage here, the octagonal. 
uh, information from the uh, fr- from the weekend. And right now, as we stand well past the halfway point with eight matches played, it's Canada who's leading the way. Canada have not lost in World Cup qualifying as yet. Um, coming off a 2-1 victory, a very frigid victory over Mexico. Mexico had an awful window, losing 2-0 to the U.S. and then losing to Canada 2-0. Um, obviously, the USA with the 2-0 victory over Mexico and then drawing 1-1 at the office in Jamaica in Kingston um, are currently sitting one point behind Canada. The U.S., I, I want to talk about their schedule first coming up because what's left for them is they have to go to Canada to play. They have to go to Mexico to play, and they have to go to Costa Rica to play. Now, Costa Rica currently sitting outside the qualifying spots in this one, but the home matches for the United States left are Panama, El Salvador, and Honduras. When you think that 24 points is going to be a magic number for the United States or for anybody in, in CONCACAF to qualify, they win their home matches. They're in. And... You know, how does that reflect for you from what you've seen from them so far in qualifying? Um, I know you and I are not high on Greg Berhalter, but, you know, what are your thoughts there? Um, and, and what are your thoughts on Canada? Because they have been an absolute dream to watch lately. Well, first on Canada, I think, yeah, I agree. I think they've been so impressive. I think the work that uh, John Herdman has done with this team has been great. And you look at the talent that they have up there, you, you know. Obviously, we look at Alfonso Davies, but look at Jonathan Davies. You look at uh, Tiba Hutchinson, who's doing well, and, and you know many other players that have been you know very much essential. Kyle Lahren, of course, getting those two goals against Mexico the other day. So yeah, I think they're in a good spot. You know, I, I think it's it's great to see. I think certainly Canadian soccer definitely needed this. You know, they've been in the shadows for quite some time. Last World Cup that they made was 1986, so obviously it would be a long time coming for them to be there. So. Yeah, it's it's been great to see, and you know, I, I hope that they do indeed make it. I would like to see them make it to the World Cup because you know it's it's been so long for them. As for the United States, I mean, yeah, I, I think obviously, like you said, I think it's those are two really really hard away games. You would say the one against Costa Rica and the one against Mexico. I think in Canada it might be a bit different because it's more suited to their style, suited to their style. Like it's not as hostile as going to the Azteca or, or going to um, you know, Estadio Nacional on San Jose. So maybe that might be a big factor. And yeah, like you said, I, I think when you look at the home games that they have left, like you said, El Salvador, Honduras, and, and um, Panama, I think you would expect them to get those wins that would indeed help them get into the into the World Cup and then see mm-hmm. what they can get away from home. You know, obviously, <laughs> hey, I mean, you and I would love to get three points of the Azteca. You know, the United States has never done that. Uh I think they can indeed get something in Canada and, and even in Costa Rica as well. You know, they're not really looking so good, the Costa Rican. So, you know, I, I think it's, you look at how the table has been set up and, you know, I think it's what, a five-point gap between the final playoff spot and then the the, the team that's out of it, which is Costa Rica. So I, I, I don't want to say they're very, very close, but I think if they can get just a few more wins at home and then obviously maybe some sort of result in Canada or Mexico, mm. I think that might be good enough. And, you know, I think it would be um, the easiest option because, you know, like you said, I think the sooner you qualify for the World Cup, the better that you can work with your players and not have to worry about being in a situation that the United States were in four years ago, five years ago. For me, there, you know, if I'm if I'm well, I am a U.S. fan, but I, I think even if I'm Greg Verhalter and I am the coaching staff for the U.S. men's national team, um, I, I like to to really wrap this qualifying up sooner than later. There are a lot of questions on this team, uh, primarily at striker and at center back. Um, you know, 
do you, do you bring in John Brooks? Uh, you know, was Walker Zimmerman the, the solution? Uh, Miles Robinson didn't play in the second match against Jamaica because of suspension. There are there are plenty of questions. Chris Richards, uh, you know, there, there, there's plenty of questions at center back as to who um, the best pairing is going to be for Greg Berhalter. And I think he needs some competitive matches to really figure that part out and who his best center back pairing is going into the World Cup if they qualify and when they qualify. Uh, the other questions that he has to answer is, who are we going to have up at the top? Are we going to have Jonathan Prefock? Are we going to have um, Ricardo Pepe? Are we going to have uh, Josh Sargent? Or, you know, Daryl DK? You know, Conrad De La Fuente? There's so many names that we throw at the top of the spear uh, for the United States men's national team that I think those questions need to be asked as well. Not so much. I think Ricardo Pepe right now has established himself as uh, as the number one choice. But I think what he needs to do is if the if the hot Ricardo Pepe hand becomes cold, where do you go? Who do you bring with you to Qatar that will be able to step into that spot? And, and even if you wanted to play in a two-striker system or a three-striker system, what do you bring? I mean, you've got Jonathan, you've got um, Timothy Way. I'm sorry, that's it's really playing well. You, you have to ask questions about Paul Ariola. This is a team that has not had Gio Reyna in qualifying. Christian Pulisic has seen limited minutes, but Brendan Aronson has performed incredibly well for them. These are the questions you have to ask yourself. I mean, are guys like Christian Roldan left on the sidelines because all these other wingers are playing so much, so well? So for me, from the U.S. standpoint, you need to qualify sooner than later um, so that you can get those matches to figure out what you want to do there. Canada has been an incredible story. I think if you have not seen the, the Canada story yet or, or you haven't been following this, this is one of the ones to watch. Canada, to me, and a lot of people are talking about this, could possibly be the next Costa Rica um, you remember the the run they had in 2014, the Kaylor Navas, all that stuff going into uh, going into Brazil. This is what people are comparing this Canada side to, and I think they are talented enough to do that. They have arguably the best player in Concacaf right now, in Alfonso Davies. Um, like you had mentioned, Kyle Lahren with the, with the brace, Yukon uh, grad by the way, and also uh, currently in, playing in Turkey. You've got Jonathan David, who's performing incredibly well over at Lille. There are a lot of great pieces on this Canada side that um, that I think can surprise a lot of people on the world stage. So this is going to be one to pay attention to. I think ultimately, Roberto, I think we're looking at our top three teams, Canada, USA, Mexico. I'm not convinced Panama has the talent to hold off Costa Rica or Jamaica yet, even though Jamaica is seven points back. Uh, that goal by Mikel Antonio this, um, you know, against the United States was ridiculous. And, and a lot of people were saying Zach Steffen didn't, could have probably made a better showing of it. But my God, that was a rocket, and um, and and I think Jamaica, if they get um, you know you know play out of guy like Mikel Antonio like that, I think they could surprise. I think they could make a run at those last two spots, uh, you know. So Roberto, I, I I'm assuming you're in agreement with me that that right now we have our top three qualifiers: Canada, USA, and Mexico. Um, would you disagree with that? No, I, I think those three are good enough, and I think you know similar to what it is in comic ball, mm-hmm. we're still seeing a place for. The fight for fourth place. Yeah, and uh, and and out of the three, Panama, Costa Rica, Jamaica, um, who would you say gets into that fourth spot? Because I think that I think it's a tough choice. It really is. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is so tough to say. I, you know, it it it's really tough to decide. And yeah, there's still so many games to play. I, I mean. I'll tell you, you know, right now, coming up the next match on January 26th is Jamaica hosting Mexico. Um, if Jamaica pulls a win there, then then A, Tata Martino has to worry about his job, and B, 
I, I would put Jamaica in, Jamaica in that fourth spot because I, I think that's the kind of victory that would propel a side to, you know, to greatness. Uh, that, that's a massive win. So I think there's a lot that hinges on that. Costa Rica in that next match window is going to face Panama. So, you know, you're, you're, if you're Jamaica sitting there, you're hoping those two teams draw in, uh, in Costa Rica and, and Jamaica pick up the three points. That'll only put them. Uh, that'll put them five points back of Panama. It'll put them uh, even with Costa Rica, and, and and then from there it's game on, isn't it? Yeah, but don't be surprised if Mexico do start to stumble a bit more. Mm. You know, and, and don't be surprised if they are in a situation where they could make the playoffs. I, th- I think one thing that happened between um, the Mexico U.S. game and the Mexico Canada game was I think Mexico were exposed for how slow they can be. Um, I think I think there there was a, a speed factor that Canada and the United States presented that Mexico had no answers for, and and I and I and I think it was visible in those two matches. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. I think that that really obviously the cold kind of got the factor over there in Edmonton, and obviously uh, the United States getting that win, the famous dos a cero. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it'll be tough. Obviously, the factor for Mexico is they got three straight games all at home. Yeah. So they should be able to pick up points there. I mean, maximum points. They can't draw. They can't, you know, yeah, they can't do that. They but, need three um, wins. I think to save Tata's job, I think they need three wins. No, too. absolutely. And you yeah. said that, you know, he should be, you should be worried about Tata Martino's job for that game. I'd be worried right now. Yeah. I'd be worried right now, honestly. It's true. It's true. Uh, so, so we're going to cut off the, uh, the discussion of the international window. We're going to actually bring that back coming at the end of January as these teams get back into it and more teams qualify for the world cup. So let's bring it back to, uh, uh more domestically and, and really some sad news that came out, uh, as early as this morning. Uh, and that was the news on Sergio Aguero, uh, coming off uh, a couple of weeks ago in his match against Barcelona with some chest pains. Uh, you know, he'd been undergoing, uh, Observation. It was actually the end of October when uh, in, in a one-one draw with Alaves, and he'd been undergoing observation for this chest pain. It looks like this chest pain is going to do it in do him in. There's a, a press conference scheduled for this week where the Barcelona star um, and and Manchester City legend is going to announce his retirement. That this whatever this heart condition is, and I don't have specifics on what his actual condition is, but it will not be something that he can overcome and return to competitive football. This is the uh, the player that is the uh, the all time leading scorer at Manchester City. He's won multiple multiple trophies with them. He was able to win a Copa America with Argentina and Lionel Messi this summer. Um, just an incredible incredible career. And and you know you think back to the Christian Eriksen scenes from the Euro earlier this year. And, and I'm glad that this is happening in terms of the fact that we don't see those types of scenes repeated. In in a Barcelona match or something like that, that we've caught this early enough where he can remain healthy, happy with his family. Um, But it is certainly uh, a great loss to the footballing community because we'll never be able to see the greats of Sergio Aguero again. What are your thoughts on his career and and how this went about? Yeah, so it's not official yet. Mm -hmm. It's not official as to if he is going to retire. But, you know, I think, you know, the fact that we've been seeing these kind of things you know, happening. And even when it was first reported, we were kind of worried. It was like, oh, I mean, is this something that he can might come back to? Because, you know, obviously having a heart issue and being a professional soccer player don't really go hand in hand mm-hmm. as we've seen. So I think regardless, if, if we're speaking to hypotheticals and saying, yeah, he's done, he's not playing anymore. I think, yeah, like you said, I think it's a loss, not a loss, but definitely a goodbye to one of the best 
strikers of his generation, one of the best players in in the history of the Premier League. You can even say probably the best in Manchester City history. And just a very much goal-driven goal scorer. You know, I think the world has been fortunate enough to see for the last, I'd say, decade or so or more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously won, won everything that he could win at Manchester City. You know, won the Copa America at Argentina. So, you know, obviously, I, I think, fortunately, uh, a good career. And even at Barcelona, even though he, he only played four games, I think, hell, if you're going to go out and go on a high, okay, they didn't win this game, but they he, to score against Real Madrid in your first ever El Clasico, I mean, that's that's something to put, I guess, on your on your resume. But, uh, yeah, I think one of the best strikers. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, Joe, we've, we've had this discussion for years on the show. I think he could have been much more. Mm-hmm. I think he could have been absolutely much more if it weren't for the injuries that he's had and the fact that even with that, he was still being one of the best strikers in the world and one of the best players in the Premier League ever, I think is a testament to the talent that he had. And, yeah, it'll be a, a, a big miss for the for the game. 41 goals for the Argentinian national team since 2006. Uh, that one goal that you had mentioned for Barcelona, uh, his only Barcelona goal, uh, that he scored in the uh, four matches that he played for them, but 184 goals in 275 appearances for Manchester City. Also, don't forget the uh, time he spent at that Letty, uh, 175 appearances and 74 goals there. Just uh, an incredible career. I know people, you know, we talk about his original career starting out at Independiente, and many were hoping that after this Barcelona stint, he would return there for kind of like, you know, the the, the, the retirement tour, uh, and unfortunately that won't come to be, so... Um, certainly, you know, a, a great loss to the footballing community as we won't get a chance to see him play again, but, uh, certainly blessed to have been, having been able to watch him while, while he was here. So let's, uh, let's pick up to the next story. And this story is just literally breaking within the past, I'd say, uh, a couple hours or so Manchester United losing, uh, earlier today, I believe I, I didn't check the final score, but I think it was four nil, um, or it might've been four one, uh, to Watford earlier today. And we've put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer back on the hot seat. Uh, there was a Manchester United board meeting called an emergency board meeting right after. And from all reports coming out at the moment from multiple sources, they will not be sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as of today. However, the timing that they are waiting, uh, the the wait to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer right now is to make Zinedine Zidane a new offer, uh, an offer that apparently he has uh, previously rejected. But the goal is really to kind of throw the kitchen sink at Zinedine Zidane, bring him in and, uh, and, um, and sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, a couple of things. First, I think the writing's on the wall. I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer makes it to Christmas. I think that at this point, they are looking to make a change actively and feverishly. And I think right now, depending on how much money the Glazers want to throw at a guy like Zinedine Zidane, um, I think they're going to out and get go out and get a man. Will it be their man? I don't know, but I think that right now they just want to make a change because of the inconsistencies that are under United right now under Ole. I think they've kind of had enough and want to go in a different direction. Um, but this is now the second time in about a month and a half or a month that we've had emergency meetings on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and we haven't made up our mind. And I think, to be honest with you, Roberto, at this point, we start to have to think about the incompetencies of the front office at Manchester United. I mean, they had a meeting about this uh, a month ago. They gave him three matches. He won one, he draw one, he lost one. They decided to stick with him. And now all of a sudden this big four, one defeat to Watford um, has really rekindled that fire again. They're, they're, the indecisiveness is going to cause Manchester United 
to lose out on their man. They've already lost out on Antonio Conte. And I feel like, you know, if I'm Zidane looking at this, I don't know that I want to take this job for any amount of money. What What are your thoughts on the way uh, Ole's been treated, the way they've handled this situation, and, you know, when do they sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not if? It's It's been chaotic. It really has. And, you know, you don't know what to expect from this club anymore because I think, you know, of course, I think a lot of people want to see a situation like this where they want Ole out. But, you know, ultimately, I, I think many people still have to understand that this is a manager that people really respect, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the way that he is, not just because of the performances that he had. Having said that, you know, I think we still live in a world, and, you know, we've attested this on multiple occasions, the what have you done for me lately? Well, you know, obviously, was it one game in their last five that he's won in the Premier League? So, obviously not good enough. And you don't want it to make it as bad as it is and make it even worse, but... I just don't think someone like Zidane would want to come in and handle this because imagine how much pressure that, that you have to give mm-hmm. to someone like him. And of course, this is a guy who's managed Real Madrid and you know, did all that, but you know, this is a different ball game, um, especially during a, a tense um, mo- uh, part of the season. So, yeah, I, I think if they are going to sack Oli, I think they're going to have to go for someone that's a bit more. Uh, lower level, an inner manager, maybe an assistant of Oli or something like that, and and just go off to the end of the season and and see what happens there. An, an interim, that's, and that's the guy. only way. Exactly, mm. that's it. Yeah. I, all right, crazy idea. I'm going to throw it at you, and and I don't think this is going to happen. But does Sir Alex Ferguson become that interim interim person? No, 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 no. I didn't think no. so either, but I just wanted to throw it out there because he's still in the stands. You know, he's still around, and he's an absolute legend. And, ma- and maybe that's why. They're still in the situation. Could be. Because they're too focused on him and still getting the opinion of someone like him. Yeah, could be. Could be. It was you know, it was almost like that Arsene Wenger um situation at Arsenal where the you have to and it takes years to rid of that influence. And not that, you know, Sir Alex is a bad influence, but it takes years to rid a team and a and a program and an organization of that kind of influence. I don't think this gets fixed anytime soon. Um and I'm wondering, and, and and again, these are probably more questions for Nipun Chopra and 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 Brian Dunseth and guys that are really you know professed United fans. But I'm I'm wondering if at this point they they're looking at the Glazers more than anything else. I know the the casual United fan definitely is pointing that finger, um, but I think the guys that are in the know, I I want to know if if it's a Glazer thing now where they're finally saying, you know what, it's not about Ole, it's not about. Sir Alex, it's not about uh, you know David Moyes and 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 Jose Mourinho. It's it's about the Glazers. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I think that's always been the issue, though. Yeah, that's always been the issue. Yeah. So I, I again, they can change Oli, but I don't know that I don't know that they're going to be changing the leopard spots like they need to uh, until the Glazers make that kind of decision. And and God knows if it'll come up at all. Um, again, you know, United have lost five of their last seven Premier League uh, matches. Uh, they're 12 points behind Chelsea. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. So we'll have to see how that one develops as we move along. So um, let's let's get into some matches of the week this week because we've got a heck of a week coming up. Right now uh, on the weekend as we're recording this, uh, there are currently MLS Cup matches going on right now. And at the end of next week, you'll have the quarterfinals starting at 4 p.m. on Sunday. But MLS matches today and tomorrow, definitely keep an eye out for that. On Tuesday, we have Villarreal and Man United uh, at the uh, 1245 mark in the Champions League. Again, a hotly contested group. It's something that is uh, that 
the United fans and top brass will definitely be keeping an eye on. At 3 o'clock, Chelsea-Juve uh, will come up. Uh, Juve already qualified for the knockout stages. Chelsea are trying to sneak in, and they're going to host uh, Juventus at Stanford Bridge. On Wednesday, Man City-PSG, massive one at 3 p.m., followed at the same time with Atleti AC Milan at 3 as well. On Thursday in the Europa League, we have Monaco and Real Sociedad at 3 p.m. And then on the weekend, we're going to start off in Germany at 9.30 a.m. with Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg hosting Dortmund. At noon, Juve Atalanta going to kick off. That's a big one. And at 3 o'clock, Barcelona Villarreal will face each other. And then on Sunday, again, Chelsea, Manchester United. Uh, this could, if, if they haven't sacked only by now, uh, a big performance out of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge would certainly uh, put the final nail in the coffin on that one. We're going to close with Marseille and Troyes at 2.45 p.m. in France. And then, again, the MLS quarterfinals, your matchup still to be determined, will start to kick off at 4 p.m. on Sunday. So... Uh, a fantastic week of football coming up. Again, a holiday here in the United States. So next week, we will not be around. Uh, we'll be coming back the week after to bring you more exciting football news and notes uh, from around the globe. So, my friend, without anything left on the closing uh, on the docket here, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So for episode 342 of Low Limit Football, thanks again to you, the listeners, for joining us here today. And, uh, and and discussing with us all the happenings in the world football. Again, next week we are off, and we will return the week after as we prepare to close out 2021. So, for episode 342 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Lajos. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>